right, good evening, everyone. If I can get some fellas come help me pass out a few things, I got new maps, new maps. My goal tonight is to finish Acts chapter 18. How many think I can? Yeah, two people, two people believe in me. And I appreciate you being here. I know Wednesdays are busy days. Everybody's working, going to school or both. And uh, you, you've taken the time to come home and, and uh, get a bite of supper and get back in the car and come out to church. And I've always liked the midweek services because I don't know about anybody else. I need the recharge. Uh, sometimes life can uh, uh, just weigh, down, weigh us down a little bit. So I, I just have always enjoyed uh, Wednesday night service. Acts chapter 18, if you're in your Bible. Fellas, I think we have a new map for up on the screen as well. Um, and uh, even though it's a new map, we can review just a little bit. Paul, on his second missionary journey, has ended up in the city of Corinth right here in a region called Achaia. It is part of the modern-day country of Greece, and it is where he is spending the longest period so far in his missionary journeys. Uh, oftentimes, he was only in a, in a town or a city for a matter of a few weeks, and then he would move on. Sometimes it was persecution that forced him to leave that particular city, but Corinth uh, was different. He was there for quite some time, and uh, then uh, the, the, the Lord just established to him, I've got many people in this city for you, uh, and so forth. And he ended up there a, a year and a half, uh, and so forth. Pick it up in verse number 9. This is uh, by way of review. Uh, Paul has walked out of the synagogue, and uh, they, they've rejected Christ. A few people there got saved. Uh, Paul must have been somewhat discouraged because these were his people and he loved them. He wanted them to know Christ as Savior. And once again, uh, as a group, uh, they had rejected Christ. Verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. So the Lord is encouraging uh, the Apostle Paul and just letting him know, don't, don't worry about anything. Don't let their response to you be, be, be a discouragement. I'm with you. And he made two promises to him. One, he said, nobody's going to hurt you here. And number two, he said, I've got a lot of people in this city. And so then over a course of the verse 11, he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And that is where the great church at Corinth was established. And uh, it was a, a fruitful ministry and again, a lengthy ministry. We saw last week in verse 12 that the unbelieving Jews in the synagogue filled with envy tried to stop the ministry uh, of Paul and this, this uh, great church that had been established there. Uh, they brought Paul in before a Roman proconsul, a man by the name of Gallio. Uh, we talked about his history last week. And uh, they thought that for sure, all they had to do was, was uh, just say, this guy's a lawbreaker and, and all that kind of stuff. And Gallio would just, you know, throw the book at him and end the threat. But to their surprise, Gallio wouldn't even really hear much of anything they had to say. He said, look, if it's uh, a matter that this guy had done something wicked, if he's living in a lewd manner, well, then, then we'll let the law take care of it. But this is just about words, and this is a matter of, of your law, your religious law. It goes, you guys just take care of that yourselves. And Paul was about to open his mouth uh, to speak, 
and Gallio just threw, the, threw them out. Uh, drove them out of the synagogue, verse 16. He drove them, I'm sorry, from the judgment seat. He drove them from the judgment seat. Not, a, not at all what they're thinking. Now remember, Paul didn't even get to put out his own defense. He is just standing there. He's been accused by these people. Before he can say a word, uh, Gallio shuts them down, drives them out, verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. We're kind of surmising that Sosthenes, as the leader, uh, wasn't too anxious to leave the courtroom. He, he didn't like the way things went, and he may have stayed behind when the other was getting shoved out the door, and he's, you know, point of order, you know, trying to, you know, get his voice heard. And when it says the Greeks here, it's not talking about the, the church members. Paul would not have tolerated his church members behaving like that. Uh, back in, in Lystra, when they tried to worship him, he would, he would not tolerate that. Uh, the Greeks here would, would probably be re, uh, referring to the, the Greeks on the, the city council or whatever you might call it in those days. Uh, they grabbed a hold of him and they beat him. And Gallio just kind of shrugged it off saying, oh, well, dude, we told you to get out. We told you to leave. And end of the matter. And do you realize that Paul saw God's promise fulfilled. He didn't have to say a word. If Paul had stood and given a, 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 a bold and a brave and an eloquent defense of himself and Gallio had ruled in his favor, Paul might have been tempted to think, man, I did a good job there. Yeah, I, I really presented my case there. Paul could take no credit for this at all. Uh, not, that he, he, not that he would have, but he could have. God did it in such a way that Paul had to just step back and say, thank you, Lord, you fulfilled your promise. Verse 18, and Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. Bible doesn't say how much longer he stayed, just it was a good while, then took his leave of the brethren. At this point, it appears like Paul is off on his own again. After Thessalonica and Berea, Paul had uh, traveled down to Athens by himself. He arrived in Corinth alone, waited for Silas and Timotheus and Luke to rejoin him, and they'd been all serving there. And it appears that he left them, and he's going to go off by himself. And the Bible says, and he sailed thence uh, into Syria. So he is going um, to leave Corinth. Remember, it's on an isthmus. And there's a port on each side of that little strip of land. He's here at this place called Sancria, and he's going to sail. The, the, the goal is to sail all the way back here to Antioch in Syria, where he started from. Uh, the journey is not going to quite follow that route, but that, that was Paul's intention. Um, and the Bible says, in with him, Priscilla and Aquila, two of the first friends he made when he came into Corinth. Uh, what were their occupations? Tent makers. What was Paul's occupation? Tent makers. So they served and worked together. Uh, and we, we talked a little bit about this couple. They're going to they're gonna come up in, in the, uh, this chapter one more time. So he travels with them. And notice at the end of verse 18, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. Just a little phrase that, that God put in there. Now, Remember, Paul was raised, born and raised, uh, a Jewish man in the Jewish faith. 
um, as you study through your Bible, uh, especially the Old Testament and the law and all of those things, vows were not uncommon uh, in the Jewish religion. Um, but there was only one vow that required the shaving of a head at any time. And that was a Nazarite vow. How many have ever heard of that? Keep your place here and let's just flip back to number six. A Nazarite vow. And we won't read everything that it says, but sort of give you an idea. Verse one of, of uh, Numbers chapter six, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them when either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord. A vow is a promise that a person makes to the Lord, okay? Uh, and this is called a Nazarite vow. There's not a lot of detail given as to why it has that particular name, um, but it, it, it indicates that this particular vow is not just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm promising to, you know, uh, you know give uh, 20% next year uh, instead of 10% or something like that. This is a vow of separation. This person is for a time going to separate themselves in their entirety in devotion to the Lord in some manner. While they do this, verse 3, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar or wine, or vinegar of wine. That's wine that's kind of gone bad and it's now sort of sour and it's, it's not really good for consumption, but like salad dressing type stuff, okay? Uh, vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. The fruit of the vine is, is, is completely out of the question. All of the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the vows of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. Um, long hair in a man in those days was not a fashion statement. In fact, short hair was the style. Uh, short hair was, you know, I know we see all the pictures, you know, those are photographs, right? Uh, those were painted, you know, hundreds and thousands of years later. Uh, but short hair was actually the order of the day. But for a Nazarite vow, they, they stopped cutting their hair for whatever length of time. There is no length of time given here for how long they had to keep this vow. It was somewhat of an individual thing. It might be that I would be led of the Lord to enter into this type of uh, relationship with God. And I would say for the next six months... Uh, I am going to uh, enter into this Nazarite vow. So I, I would not be allowed anything that came off of a vine. Uh, a little bit later, they're not allowed to touch a dead body of any kind uh, during, during the, the, the period of their vow. And I would also uh, not cut my hair, okay? At the end of that, um, let me see uh, if I can find this to you. Um, there it is, verse 18, the Nazarite, this is after it's all done, and he's fulfilled his vow, the Nazarite shall shave 
the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. She'll take the hair of the head of his separation, put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. So he's let his hair grow out uh, for whatever length of time it was. When his vows completed, then he shaves his head and then would burn it in the, the fire on the altar. It's an unusual situation. How many are glad we don't do Nazarite vows today? Okay, uh, that type of thing. It is the only uh, type of uh, uh, a vow between a human being and God mentioned in the Bible that involves that shaving of the head. Uh, and so if we go back to Acts 18, it may have been that Paul, as a Jewish man, I know he got saved, he's a Christian, uh, but by nationality and upbringing, he's a Jew. He may have entered into some type of a Nazarite vow with the Lord. We don't know why. The Bible doesn't go, go to any details. Some have suggested possibly it was a vow he made out of gratitude. I mean, God had just delivered him in a miraculous way. Um, Lystra, they stoned him and left him for dead. Thessalonica, they, they drove him out of the city. Berea, they, they drove him out of the city. Uh, Athens, they didn't do that, but they, they ridiculed him. They mocked him, and he left almost without uh, very much fruit behind him. But God had done something amazing, and, and possibly out of gratitude, Paul just separated himself to the Lord a little bit closer, uh, that type of thing. Some, things, some people think it might have been out of grief. Um, you understand that... That, that courtroom scene with Gallio, those were his kinsmen according to the flesh. They were the Jewish people to whom Christ came. And Paul had, we, we looked at, at Romans uh, 9 and 10, that incredible burden that he had. In fact, he was so, so uh, desirous to see his people saved that he was willing to do what thing if it would result in their salvation. Anybody remember? He said, I would rather myself be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, my brethren according to the flesh. Um, and it might have just been grief. Uh, and Paul separated himself from that. Uh, others think maybe it was a time of seeking direction. Uh, it may have been he sensed the Lord was leading him on, but he wasn't sure where. We don't know what it was, but Paul was a man who took his relationship with the Lord very seriously. And, and he, he would take this matter of a separation very seriously. So um, he, is, he is boarding a ship, verse 19. He came to Ephesus and left them there. That's Aquila and Priscilla, the only ones he took with him. Now, Ephesus uh, is not Syria. So he is crossing the Aegean Sea, and he's up here in the city of Ephesus. And you should be able to find that on your map. And that city is going to become very prominent in the book of Acts in just a little while. Um, it, it appears that maybe when he got off the ship, uh, he and Aquila and Priscilla parted ways for a while. And as his custom was, uh, he went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. See, everybody, see if you can remember going back a couple of chapters. As his manner was, when Paul went into the synagogue, he did two things. Can anybody tell me what the first one was? I'm a lousy teacher. What was the first thing he always did? He reasoned out of the scriptures, but what, and, and what, what, what was the first thing? Okay, that was the second one, that Jesus was the Christ. Good answer, though. I, I don't feel nearly as bad. Um, uh, what was the first one? 
that Christ needed to suffer and die and be raised again. Uh, and that Jesus of Nazareth was Christ. Uh, Christ is not a name, it is a title. Give me two other words that mean the same thing as Christ. Messiah and the anointed one. Uh, so Paul is doing the same thing in the city of Ephesus. And notice in verse number 20, their response. When they desired him to tarry longer with them. Uh, they're having an amazing response to Paul's message. Um, it, it almost seems here like it is unanimous in this synagogue. Uh, that these, these, these group, This group of people really want him to be there, be a part of it. They're very much like the people in Berea who were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Um, but for some reason, in spite of their desire, verse 20, he consented not. Paul had a burden on his heart, possibly direction God had given him during that time of the vow. Maybe that's what he was praying about for leadership. Uh, he consented them not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. The feast there is probably referring to the Passover. Um, it's often referred to in the New Testament as the feast. Uh, it, was, it was possibly one of the biggest celebrations uh, on the Jewish calendar. And uh, so Paul had a burden to go to Jerusalem and be there in time for the Passover. He said, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So uh, he sails from Ephesus, comes all the way around. Now, this map is not showing that. It's the third journey. I'm just kind of filling in. Uh, for you. So he sails around this way and he comes over to Caesarea, which is in this region. I'm sorry, this region down here. So he had come down this way. Caesarea was a man-made harbor that was built by King Herod the Great. Um, the ruins of Caesarea still stand today. The aqueduct that Herod built to bring water out of the mountains down into Caesarea still carries water. Uh, they, they built a huge stadium, much like the Colosseum that you're, you can, you've seen pictures of in Rome that is still actually being used today for concerts. Uh, I've been in there. Uh, it's an amazing structure uh, and so forth. Caesarea was a giant swamp that Herod the Great drained and built this city, named it Caesarea after Caesar, trying to curry some favor. Uh, and he built a, a natural harbor there, or a, a man-made harbor there, so that Roman ships could come back and forth. And it was quite the feat of engineering. So Paul disembarks in Caesarea. And then uh, I want you to notice the terminology, okay? Uh, he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus when he landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church. He went down to Antioch. Um, Bible directions are sometimes very interesting. Notice it says he lands at Caesarea. And then he went down, or I'm sorry, went up to the church and then down to Antioch. Well, here's Caesarea, here's Antioch. In my, in my opinion, Antioch is up. Anybody else kind of see that? You know, when, when we're doing directions, we, we think north, south, east, or west. I'm, I'm going to go up to Vermont. 
I'm going to go down to Florida. In the Jewish mind, it didn't work that way. Jerusalem was always up. Jerusalem sits uh, in a small mountain range, the mountains of Moriah. It's built on the top of a hill. The temple was built on the highest part uh, of that particular mountain. And so it was always, I'm going up to Jerusalem. That's where the the temple was and, and the presence of God was. So you were always going up. In Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Uh, He wasn't playing the sound of music. The hills are... He wasn't talking about that. Uh, And and, and it wasn't anything like that. He, he, the, The psalmist there is referring to the fact the temple is in Jerusalem on those... The, the, the top of that hill, so you're going, I will lift up mine eyes under the hills. That's where the temple was, the presence of God. So when it says he went up, uh, had gone up and saluted the church, Paul left Caesarea and went to Jerusalem. It looks down to us, but in the Jewish mind, they're going up. We don't know how long he was there. We assume he made it in time for Passover, probably observed it there, probably met with James and the others uh, of the church. Nothing recorded in scripture as to what transpired there. And then the Bible says he went down to Antioch. And that's way up here in the north. How many understand that? So when you see those things and you're looking at maps and you're trying to think, well, there's a mistake in the Bible, there's not. That is, just, that is just how the Jewish mind uh, looked at those particular things. Uh, he went down to Antioch, and after he had spent some time there, he departed. So again, uh, Paul is on his own at, at this point in time. I don't, know, I, I don't know if it's just some R&R. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why he did that. The Bible doesn't say. Antioch was the church where he and Barnabas had set out many years before on the first journey where he and Silas had been sent out on the second journey, the first missionary church in the world. So Paul goes there, spends a little time, and then he's going back, um, and we can now follow this. uh, He's going through Cilicia. This region here is known as Galatia, to whom the book of Galatians was written. And he's traveling overland, and he's going to come back to the city of Ephesus. That is a journey of 1,500 miles overland. That is rugged, rugged territory. Um, He didn't fly. He didn't take a bus. He didn't take a train. Um, The most common form of transportation in that time period was walking. Uh, He may have purchased an an animal such as a horse or a mule, uh, that type of thing. Uh, He may have hitched a ride with someone in a caravan and and, and that type of thing. We're not sure about it, but can you imagine what an arduous journey that that was? It is said of John Wesley, uh, who uh, established what is today known as the Methodist Church. In his day, he was a a great soul-winning revivalist. He traveled back and forth between England and the colonies uh, many, many, many times. Uh, It is said of John Wesley that in his lifetime, uh, he traveled about 100,000 miles total and about a quarter of those on horseback. 25,000 miles on horseback. Can you even imagine that? Um, 
I, I was trying to just sort of imagine what it would be like to be the Apostle Paul. I, I don't travel to preach out a lot, but I'll, I'll do a little bit. Uh, if it's more than a few hours away, oftentimes uh, I will fly. Uh, January uh, of this year, uh, I, I boarded a flight from Hartford and uh, I flew somewhere at Charlotte, North Carolina from there. I was supposed to go to Gulfport. My flight there got canceled, so I ended up in New Orleans. Uh, Jonathan and Hope Reamers picked me up and we drove back over to Gulfport, uh, that type of thing. So I'm flying. You know, uh, I'm sitting in airports all day, getting on, getting off of planes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Can I just tell you that the next day I was exhausted? Now, I realize I'm a geezer that at my age, I get exhausted, you know, uh, opening and closing the refrigerator door sometimes. Uh, but, but it was like just an exhausting thing. Um, and that was just one little trip. Um, and there are, there are preachers, evangelists and stuff that do that every week of the year. And, and I, I honestly don't know how they keep up with it. That kind of constant travel. Some of you may have traveled for business or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Just think about the, 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 the stamina and the determination it would take for someone like the Apostle Paul following the leadership of God to travel that many miles. Um, he's got some friends along the way, but they're scattered out, you know, a, a, a lot. He's not a wealthy man, depending, you know, just drawing on the family trust, uh, that type of thing. He's just trusting the Lord to take care of him, to feed him and provide for him and so forth. And uh, to just, just think about that a little bit. My, my opinion of, of the Apostle Paul, as I've studied through Acts for this, just is constantly on the rise, and I see such a, a high level of dedication in this particular man. Notice what he's doing in Galatia and Phrygia. The Bible says, strengthening all the disciples. In all these places, uh, in, in, right in through here, those are places that Paul has been to on the first and second journey. Um, Lystra and Iconium and Derby and so forth. These are places that he's established churches and now he's going back to those churches, strengthening the disciples. Uh, he hasn't been in touch with them for years. There's no social media. There's no pick up your cell phone. Hey, how you doing? And catch up, that type of thing. The, the Romans had a mail system and there may have been communications like that that went back and forth, but it would take months, if, uh, weeks, if not months for those kind of missives to get back and forth. Um, so Paul is going back to where he planted churches and won people to Christ and discipled them. Now he's strengthening them. Um, they're, they're, they're maturing in their faith. And so the whole purpose of his, his journey in through here is just strengthening the disciples. Um, you and I need that, don't we? It, it's not just enough that, that uh, we see people get saved and follow the Lord and believers' baptism. We're supposed to follow up with them and help them grow in grace, help them get to church, help them learn the Bible, uh, help them get grounded in the doctrines of the Bible. Uh, we are about to start up for the first time in a while uh, a discipleship class. Brother John Snow uh, is uh, going to take that. I've asked him to pray about it. And uh, it, it's for people that are perhaps brand new Christians or perhaps brand new to a church such as ours. And every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, there'll be a class. And, and Brother Snow is going to take them through the Bible on, on all the subjects that as believers we need to know. 
the inspiration of the scriptures, the importance of the local church, why we get baptized, soul winning, and, and on and on. There's just a whole bunch of things. Why? Because if we don't get that, we fall away. We fall away. Uh, and that's what Paul is doing. He's going back to all of these churches and um, uh, strengthening them. In the meantime, we come to verse 24. Remember, he left two people in Ephesus. Who were they? Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, uh, and so forth. So they're back in Ephesus. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, our map isn't going to show it. It cuts off the African continent. But right behind this third missionary sign, right behind there, if you lift it up, you'll see the city of Alexandria. Guess who it was named after? Alexander the Great. Uh, it was home uh, to the great Alexandrian lighthouse, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and the great library at Alexandria, some 700,000 volumes in an ancient library. Uh, on the North African coast, it was uh, the center of learning that rivaled and possibly even exceeded that of Athens. And there's where this gentleman, a Jewish man by the name of Apollos, was born. And so Apollos now just shows up. We're not sure where he came from. He shows up here in the city of Ephesus. Um, because he's Jewish, he would have ended up in the synagogue. Priscilla and Aquila are Jewish. They're in that synagogue. Remember, that's where Paul started. And they're all excited about the message. They wanted Paul to stay. And so... Uh, they, they make an acquaintance here. And we want to take a, a, a look. There's the last few verses of Acts 18 are going to deal with this guy, Apollos. Notice some things the Bible says about him. First of all, in verse 24, it says he is an eloquent man. An eloquent man. That means he is a good speaker. He is a fluent orator. He can just put words together and create images that you see with your mind. He's, he's just got that ability. Um, Brother Tim, who was the preacher that preached in rhyme? Know him well. You think of it. Um, I heard him up at Grace Baptist College. He's in heaven now. He was an older man. But he would preach an entire sermon, um, and much of that sermon would rhyme on purpose. Um, and I mean, it, it made sense. You've, you've heard the, or, or seen the poem, The Footprints in the Sand. He actually is the, the original author of that. When he wrote it, it was in rhyme. You'll notice today's version of it is not. Um, Tim is Googling it. I can tell, that, I can tell you that right now because he'll get nothing out of this Bible. Willard Thomas. Willard Thomas. I got to him over at Brother Vasek's church. Maybe a few of you were there a number of years ago. And uh, just a, an amazing man. And I don't know how he did it. I, I really don't know how he did it. He just had that ability. Um, and, and, and God's gifted some people to be able to put words together in, in such a way. Uh, Apollos was one of those eloquent people, okay? Keep your place here and go back with me to Exodus chapter 4. Not everybody is. Not everybody is. In Exodus 4, Moses is standing at the burning bush. 
He's been out in the wilderness for some 40 years. God's appeared to him and is, is, is telling him he's going to go back to Egypt and, uh, and say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. And look at Exodus chapter 4 and uh, verse number 10. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not what? Eloquent. There's that word again. Uh, Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. So Moses just readily admitted, I mean, God's telling him, I want you to go into the presence of Pharaoh, tell him, thus say the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. And Moses is calling the time out. Uh, Lord, I'm not an eloquent man. Then he describes and said, I am, I am of slow tongue and of a slow speech. Some people think, most people think, Moses may have had a very pronounced stutter. And so it would take him a long time to get even the, the simplest of sentences out. So here you've got in, in Ephesus now, this guy shows up named Apollos, and he is an eloquent speaker And there you've got Moses, who is anything but. Which one could God use? Both. In fact, I like what God told Moses, verse 11. The Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Do you think Moses was surprising God when he said, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I, I can't speak. I, I, I stutter. Oh, man, that's right. What was I? God knew all about that. God does not need our talent. He can use it if we'll let him. But don't let the talent or lack thereof think that somehow you are outside the scope of being used by God. You just come and bring what you've got. Okay, but we know this guy, Apollos, he's, he's a, a, a great orator. Paul was not. Paul himself, the founding pastor at Corinth, was not. Uh, he said, my speech and preaching uh, came not unto you in enticing words of man's wisdom. That's not me, but Apollos had that. Second thing we learned back in Acts 18.24, he was not only an eloquent man, he was mighty in the scriptures. That means that he was well-versed. He had a powerful grasp of Bible truth. If you ask Apollos, um, where where in the Old Testament would it it, uh, uh, refer to the everlasting hills, he would not have to pull out his eSword program on his phone, get the app open and type in everlasting hills and find it. He He just knew where it was. He could quote scripture. He had studied it so well. He not only knew where you could find scriptures, he could not only quote it back to you, he had studied it out. He knew what it meant. Uh, he, he knew uh, what, what God was teaching, the message that God was conveying. And he, because he was a great teacher and orator, he could take the scriptures and expound on them so that people could understand it and, and maybe those that had read it before, how many have ever read anything in the Bible and you thought, I don't get it? Anybody besides me? Okay? Apollos was the kind of guy that could read it, and you're still saying, I don't get it. Then he'd explain it to you and go, well, how come I couldn't see that? Um, he, was, he was a man very well-versed, 
and a very capable uh, in the scripture. Verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Now they had been, the Christians had gotten that name all the way back in Acts chapter 11, verse 30. But by and large, it wasn't a well-known name yet. Oftentimes, they referred to those of this way uh, and so forth. Keep your place here. Look across the page or so, Acts 19 and verse 9. Uh, Paul is in Ephesus. uh, uh, When divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he he departed from them. They called it that way. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 23. The Bible says, And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. Okay? So when it says that he was instructed in the way of the Lord, leads us to believe that he is a man uh, who is saved um, and and he he has been taught that. Now, he's got some limitations in his understanding on this. Okay, so I want you to just bear with me just for a moment, if you could, please. Okay, Brother Paul, can I borrow you for a moment? I'm not going to make you say or do anything. Anything embarrassing, I say for Ryan. Brother Tim, can I borrow you? If I can get you over here, and if you will face me, and if you'll stand over here, and you will face me. Okay? Um, I am going to be... Just forgive me on this. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm going to represent the Lord Jesus Christ when he came, the death, the time of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Okay? Brother Paul represents all of those from Adam all the way up to the time of Christ. Brother Tim represents those of us today in everybody between the time of Christ and today. Notice that both of these gentlemen are looking here. There are not multiple plans of salvation in the Bible. It has always been by faith. In the Old Testament, they looked forward in time by faith to the promised Savior that God first promised in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And all throughout the Old Testament, God kept adding on to that promise, clarifying and giving more and more, uh, if you will, fleshing out the promise. Those are the kind of things that Paul was teaching in the synagogue to the Jewish people about all of those things. So uh, if uh, Paul was an Old Testament saint, he wasn't saved by offering lambs and all that kind of stuff. He was saved by putting his his trust in the promise that God was going to send a savior. That's why they kept looking for Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Okay. Um, and in the, today we get saved the same way by looking back in time, some 2000 years to when Christ came on the cross. How many? Okay. With me. Okay. Now, Here's what we learn about this guy, Apollos. If your Bibles are open still, verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Notice this, knowing only the baptism of John. So I'm going to have you move real close, okay? John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. Uh, He was on the scene. We know John was about six months older 
uh, than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one that uh, presented Christ in the wilderness. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Okay? John pointed people to the Savior. Okay? So Apollos was one of those who either knew John and maybe was saved under the, the ministry of John the Baptist was that, that, that repentance uh, for the remission of sin, or maybe one of John's converts had led, you're going to be Apollos now, okay? Had led Apollos to Christ, um, but that's all he knew. See, when John the Baptist died, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. He hadn't been buried and resurrected. John didn't preach about that event. He just preached about the Messiah coming, the Christ coming. And when he showed up, he said, that's him. Okay? You and I have the full story. Okay? Because we, we've got the whole biblical record. So Apollos, we know, is instructed in the way of the Lord. So we know that he's saved, but his understanding of it is somewhat limited because all he knows is the message that John preached. How many are okay? How many are understanding that? Okay, are you good with that? Okay, thank you, gentlemen. You're all done. That wasn't too embarrassing, I hope. Paul's gonna sit in the back row from now on. Okay, so we're learning this about this man, uh, Apollos. He is, he's mighty in the scriptures. Um, he's a, he's a, an eloquent man. He's instructed in the way of the Lord. Uh, but his understanding of the events are limited. Gotta remember, the New Testament wasn't written yet. Okay, so he can't look into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read the Gospels. Okay, um, so he comes in. Uh, there's one other thing that, that uh, it, it says about him in verse 25, and then we're going to come back to this manner, matter before us. Uh, it says, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord being fervent in the spirit. The word spirit there, does it begin with a capital S or small one? Small one, so it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, his spirit, his attitude. He was fervent in the spirit. The word fervent means to boil. Apollos was the kind of guy that was just like in motion. I mean, he just, he just so excited about Jesus. And he, you know, I mean, he's, he's excited about it. Uh, we're all fervent about something. Everybody in here, there, there are certain things we're fervent about. Uh, there are some in this room that are fervent about snakes. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Uh, you know, every second post on Facebook is about a snake. Every time I turn around, he's bringing a new snake home. Fervent about snakes. How many, how many can honestly say, I do not share that fervency? Okay, all the normal people just raised their hand. Okay, we're, we're, we're not fervent about that. Um, anybody here fervent about football? I mean, you just really like football. If it's on, you'll watch it. Anybody fervent about football? One. Wow. We all just traded our man, man cards in. Uh, March Madness. An anybody into it? Anybody into it? One. Wow, we are two. Okay, um, uh, how, how about the World Cup, soccer, that type of thing? Anybody into that? Uh, I, I get my haircut down on, on Route 5, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very cool place, and they've got like 15 barber chairs in there. Almost everybody that works in there has, is Hispanic. 
Um, one time, the guy that owns it had to ask me what I wanted done, took me back to the guy that was going to cut my hair, and said it all in Spanish, and that was it. And I was at his mercy, and he wasn't sure he, he, uh, about something, so he went and found somebody to come over and talk to me in English, and then and back and forth. But uh, when the World Cup was on, they have TVs all over the place. My haircut took like an hour. Because, you know, they're getting all excited. Arriba, arriba, ande, you know, whatever's, you know, going on. And that's the fervent about it and so forth. Uh, we have ladies in our church that are fervent about stamping. How many know what I'm talking about? Yep, guilty as charged. Uh, we, got, we got ladies that are uh, fervent about quilting. My wife, Trina, was fervent about couponing. My God. Goodness, that woman could coupon. And I'm, I'm thanking the Lord for it. Um, she had some stores around here dreaded to see her come because there were times she'd have an order that started out when it was all rung up, like $118. And after they were done ringing through her coupons, they owed her money. But man, she was excited. She used to tell me, she goes, yeah, that, that's where I get my rush. That's where I get my rush. That and, and used clothing stores and stuff like that. We all are fervent about some things. We're all fervent about different things, but there's one thing we all ought to be fervent about, and that are the things of the Lord. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Not necessarily that we're all going to be jumping up and down and um, you know, that type of thing. We all have different personalities, but we ought to be so convinced of the wonders, the greatness, and the importance of the gospel and of the message of the Lord that, that it's just bubbling out of, it's just flowing out of us. It ought not be something we have to work it up. Okay? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation means without acting. Let your love be real. Don't, don't be putting on a show. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. And amazing, he mentions love twice. In honor, preferring one another. Not, I'm sorry, not slothful in business. Next three words, church. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So how many of us are supposed to be fervent about snakes? One. How many of us are supposed to be fervent about stamping? One. How many are supposed to be fervent about football? One. How many, how many of us are supposed to be fervent about Jesus? No exceptions. No bumps on, no bumps on a log when it comes to that. There's no just sitting here and just ta-da. Man, there, there just ought to be something flowing out of us. Uh, how many are glad you're saved? How many are amazed that you're saved? I am so glad that our Father in heaven, I, I still can't believe that God did everything that he did to get me saved. Um, God moved my family and I 50 miles from where I grew up because there was no gospel preaching church around us. I grew up in the hill country coal mining area of, of western Pennsylvania. Uh, God saw to it that my dad lost his job and the only job he could find was 50 miles away. And after two or three years of traveling that it was wearing him out. So my dad's boss said, hey, I found a house. Let me let us help you get it in there. My, my parents bought their first house in their entire marriage. And it just so happened two weeks later, somebody from a church.
church knocked on our door and invited us to ride the bus to neighborhood Bible time so I could hear the gospel and get saved. God did all that to save me. God pity us for getting over that. And your story's different than mine, right? Mine's better. <laughs> By the way, I ought to feel like mine's better than yours, and you ought to be sitting there going, nuh-uh. Fervent in spirit. So Paul, th this guy, Apollos, was not some guy that had been saved so long that he'd lost the joy of it all. He came into this church, and he, at, at, at this synagogue, the church is not established yet, and, and he is uh, fervent in spirit about that. Look at verse 26, all the way back to chapter 18, and I am going to finish the chapter. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So he's following on the, the, the heels of the apostle Paul, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You understand everything we know about this guy? He may have been the premier preacher of his day. He was a Bible scholar par excellence. He was fervent in spirit, mighty in the scripture, here come two tent makers. One of them's a woman. And they take him aside and say, you know, what you're teaching is good, but you don't know the whole story. And the Bible says they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You know what that tells me about Apollos? He was teachable. He was teachable. With all that he knew, he never got to the place of saying, I know it all. How many have ever met a know-it-all? Aren't they wonderful people to meet? Um, they, nobody knows it all. Uh, I like this about it. He has a humility on top of everything else um, that, that is there. And so Aquila and Pr Priscilla, they, they help him understand the rest of the story. I, I won't bring Brother Paul up here. Remember, uh, uh, Apollos only knew about the baptism of John. He didn't know uh, everything that had happened since then. So they are, they are filling him in on that. Verse 27, when he was disposed to pass into Achaia. So they are over here in Ephesus. He's met uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, for whatever reason, he is going to head over here to Achaia, to this region, okay? The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Well, to our knowledge, there's only two churches here. One is Athens, and it, it only had a couple of converts. The other was this big church at Corinth. So Aquila and Priscilla over here in Ephesus they weren't at Athens. The only church they knew was Corinth. So it sounds like they wrote letters introducing Apollos to the church at Corinth, whom when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews in that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So Apollos comes back to the city of Corinth, Remember, Paul didn't have a lot of success in the synagogue there. Remember, they opposed themselves. They, they blasphemed the name of the Lord, and Paul shook, you know, just kind of shook it off, saying, I, I'm not going anymore. Apollos walked in, and where, where Paul just didn't make any leeway whatsoever, Apollos did. 
And the Bible says he convinced them. He mightily convinced them and that publicly, not just one-on-one, in a public manner showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Now, we're we're almost done. I'm doing great on time. I'm excited about myself. Go back to verse 17 of chapter 18. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. That's, remember that uproar in, in the courtroom. Sosthenes is the chief ruler of the synagogue. He's against Paul. He's led the charge that day against him. He's now been beat publicly and so forth. So some time has passed. We're not sure. We're going to assume months and months have passed. The church at Corinth is still doing their thing. And now comes this guy, Apollos. He is now fully instructed in the way of the Lord, not just from the baptism of John, but he's got the rest of the story. He's already mighty in the scriptures. He's an eloquent man. And he's going back into the same synagogue that wanted nothing to do with Paul. And the Bible says he mightily convinced them. Turn with me one last place, and that will be 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and whom? Sosthenes, our brother. Does it not stand to reason that where Paul couldn't seem to get through to Sosthenes, Sosthenes withstood him and did everything he could to stop him, have him thrown out of town, Apollos was able to win him to Christ. Do you understand Sosthenes now traveling with Paul, now a servant of the Lord? Does that mean that Apollos is better than Paul? Not at all. You know, God uses all kinds of different people. He really does. I told you recently the teens were visiting down in uh, New Haven near where we run our buses. And uh, Brother Rob was there with some teenage boys a few Fridays ago knocking on doors. And they came across the door that had a sign there that said no mask, no entry, that type of thing. And the boys weren't quite sure what to do with that. They didn't want to get in any trouble or whatever. Uh, so Brother Rob said, I- I'll go up there. I'll take care of it. At least he was going to try to give a, a gospel tract. Uh, or leave one or something like that. And Rob knocked on the door and the lady answered the door. It turns out that the no mask, no entry sign really didn't have a whole lot of bearing on things. But within just moments of the conversation, uh, she shared with Brother Rob that she is the mother of a seven-year-old autistic child. And Rob just looked at her and said, I am the dad of an eight-year-old autistic child. And all of a sudden, a connection was made. A connection was made, and it turned out to be a marvelous, marvelous visit. uh, visit. That lady's going to come, hopefully, very, very soon to visit the services. Rob was telling me about that uh, the next day on Saturday morning and so forth. And as as he told me that, I, I had goosebumps. I mean, it was just one of those things I said, that was a God moment. Only God could do that. Now, I might have walked up there, you might have walked up there, and maybe there'd have been nothing, nothing whatsoever. But you see, Rob's in a different circumstance. He related to that lady in a very, very different level that we don't understand, and right there it was. Just like I I minister to amputee people all the time, where some of you, 
might, might not be as comfortable. It's just that's, that's the realm God's put me in. And all of us have a thing. Uh, okay, we make fun of Tim and the snakes, okay? Uh, there's no, nothing at all wrong with it. He's got some uh, burden for ministry on that. But do you understand God's opened doors for him to witness to people just through something like a snake? Um, and I'm, I'm going to guarantee you, every one of us in this room, there are people out there that we're going to connect with that maybe nobody else in this room could. Doesn't mean that that person's not as good a Christian as we are or anything like that. It just means God uses us all just as we are. Okay? We good with that? We're going to see Apollos one more time, and we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians next week. But uh, what, a, what a blessing. How God is just setting things up here, and it's all going to meet together. Brother Tim, do we need to tear down tonight? Okay, so if you could help us. If